Father, I want to thank you for Sarah and Vince's faith to come and speak to us this morning from your word. Lord, I thank you for their humility. I thank you for their heart to serve us as a church. And I pray you bless them now in the name of Jesus. Calm their nerves, Lord. Give them your peace. And I pray they be on top of what they want to bring and full of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Over to Sarah or Vince. I can't remember which. I'm going to kick off. Okay. Morning, everyone. Morning. Great to see you here. Enjoying our summer? It's great, isn't it? Okay. What we've decided to do in terms of tag team is that um, before Sarah comes up, I thought we'd just have a bit of background, look at the series, see where we've got to. So, Sarah, so you can relax in your chair for a bit, that's fine. So, I'll give us a bit of background to the series so far, then I'll invite Sarah up. Is that okay with everyone? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So, we're in a series, as Gus has already said, calling called Faith for Fruits. And the background to this is that we're actually looking at the, the story or the, the life of Abraham. And we see that it's a, a life that is totally given over to God, to trusting God and trusting God for his promises and his abilities to come to pass in his life. And so as we've gone on the journey with Abraham, we see that God has, has spoken to Abraham and promised him that he will have a family, a, a nation, and that through his family, the nations of the earth will be blessed. We find that it's an inexplicable promise that God has given, but what is Abraham's response? It's one of belief. Totally trusting God for his ability to bring the promise to pass in his life. So, as a result of this confidence in God, we see that across many nations, peoples, nations, there is a family of believers, families in Christ. So the challenge that this series brings to us as a church is that will we, too, believe God to bear fruit for the good of the many? Will we believe God to see fruit for the many? So where have we got to then? Well, we've seen that Abraham has left Ur of the Chaldees, his hometown, having had an encounter with God. God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And then as Abraham's journey into a place that God was about to show him but did not initially make it plain, we find that Abraham goes into Egypt, which was not God's plan. But he goes into Egypt, he tries to hide the fact that Sarah was his wife, but he soon got rumbled. And so with that, he moves on. Two weeks ago, we saw how Abram has now come to a place where he hears that Lot, his nephew, has been captured. Lot had been living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there was a, a, a corporate number of kings tribal kings that have got together, a coalition, as Mike put it, a coalition of kings that have got together and have taken the land, and I haven't got any graphics for you, so it's, they're taking the land down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sorry about that. Um, and so therefore, what Abraham does, he goes and he recaptures Lot, he gets Lot out of that situation, and after doing so, he meets with a priest king called Melchizedek. And we see there 
that Melchizedek is, is like a foreshadow, a, a, a glimpse into something that was greater to come. That the covenant of the law was not God's end plan. The covenant of the law was not God's, God's final plan. But his final plan was to bring a covenant whereby we could relate to God through Jesus Christ. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, we can have relationship with God. Don't you think that's good news? So that we can have fruit for our lives. And so, today, where we've got to is that we're into chapter 16. And in, in a moment, Sarah will come and share. And then I'll return back and do a little bit more. And together we'll see what God has to say to us through the life of Abraham. All good? Yes. yes. Sarah. <laughs> Okay, so we've entitled um, today's talk, Pushing the Promise, and we're going to be looking at it under these four headings. Um, reality leads to rejection, rejection leads to works, works leads to trouble, and trouble leads to God. <coughs> so before we get into those headings, let's first of all read the chapter, Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had born in no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that's beside the road to Shur. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live in austerity towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the Lord who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahalroi. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So, Abram bore, uh, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Reality leads to rejection. The reality of Abraham and Sarah's situation um, led them to really question the promises of God. And we look at the reality of Abraham and Sarah's situation at this point, we find that they'd 
gone on a long journey, they were out on their own, in a way, although being surrounded by all the people they've been blessed with, but they were really trusting God for this promise that God had given them ten years beforehand. And I don't know about you, but I find ten years a really long time to wait for anything. I don't really like waiting at all for anything. But for ten years to wait for a promise, and also to wait for a promise of a baby, is a massive thing. And we know that at this point, Sarah is 75 years old, so it's looking more and more impossible. But she's trusting God, or she has been trusting God at this point. And this made me wonder about our lives, really, because the Bible is so fantastic, and that it allows us to glimpse into people's lives that lived a long time ago and learn some really massive lessons so that we don't have to go there, or we can learn from the lessons that they, that they, that they had, and we don't have to go down the same road that they went down. And I know maybe you're thinking, well, I haven't got a maid servant, so how does this apply to me? But you will see, as we, as we unravel this story, how relevant this really is to our lives. Because many of us have got things that we feel that God's spoken to us, into our lives, promises that we're really holding on to. And sometimes the wait in between getting the promise and seeing its fulfilment can seem like a really, really long wait. Um, and I just wondered if you've got things that you can think of that God's promised you. Um, maybe it's maybe some of you have already started out on the journey a little bit and God's brought you to Birmingham holding that promise. Or maybe some of you just have things in your heart that you feel God particularly wants to call you into a line of ministry or maybe a line of work and you feel that when you do that work God is going to really bless you but you're just waiting for that opportunity. Um, or maybe you feel like God's calling you to a different country but you just need the opportunity to go and so you're just waiting. Maybe some of you feel like You'd really love to get married, or you'd love to have a family, and yet you're waiting on that, waiting for that opportunity. Or maybe there's issues in your life that you've really struggled with, and you're really wait, waiting for that breakthrough. And you know the breakthrough's going to come, but in the, in the meantime, you're just waiting and waiting on God and trying and just trusting God. And I think that there's other people here, and you've had dreams long ago, and you really believed God for those dreams, but... Over the years, life's got really busy, and somehow you've just forgotten them. Or maybe you look at them now and you think, well, it just seems quite unrealistic. Was it really God who said that to me? And I think that it's really right that we have dreams and promises and visions for our life. God wants us to have those things. And if you haven't got them, you need to start asking God to envision your life. Because God wants us to grow. He wants us to go up higher. He wants us to press on with him. And when we find that place that God's really got for us in life, when we're really doing the right thing, that's where we're going to be the most fruitful and we're going to feel the most fulfilled. So it's really important we get to God and we ask him, what are those dreams, what are those promises, what do you really want me to do with my life? And there will be many factors to that, there won't just be one thing. But within all that, God has got things he really wants us to go for. But when we've got these promises, it's not always easy to hold on, is it? And sometimes our impatience to see the results can cause us to look for a solution of our own. And this is where we find Abraham and Sarah at the beginning of chapter 16. It's that wait between getting the promise and seeing its fulfilment. So were there any doubts coming in their thinking? Had they heard God right? Maybe Sarah was starting to think, perhaps I'm the blockage to the problem. Maybe... God wants to help us to help him out and bring a solution of our own. And sometimes we can do the same thing. We can wait for so long and then we think, well, did I really hear God right? Was that really, did I just make it all up? If we don't hold on to the promises properly, we can really start to doubt whether it really was God. Um, 
And doubt, I think, is one area that, in one of the other tag team preachers that Matt and Pete are going to bring, they're going to be talking a bit more about that. But just for now, I'm going to be looking at um, how do we hold on to the promises? How do we deal with those doubts when they come along? And I just wanted to look back at what God had already said to Abraham and Sarah, and did he give them some kind of strategy of how they could have held on to their promises? So if we look back at what God had already said to them, he'd, he'd taken them out and told them to look at the dust of the earth, and he said to look at the dust and remember how, how many offspring he was going to give them. And he said to walk around the land and know that he'd given it to them. And he said to gaze up at the stars, and that was to remind them of the promises. So God had said to them, so every night they could have gone out of their tent, looked at the dust and thought, that's what God says our offspring is going to be like. And they could have looked at the stars and thought, yes, one day we're going to have all this offspring. And they could have walked around the land declaring, God, we know this is the land you've given us. And so God gives them the key to hold on to the promises he'd given them. And I was just wondering whether God can give us keys today to remember our promises. Can we write down our prophetic words that we've had and stick them in places where we'd see them. Um, and ways we can remember the prophetic things. One thing I've got, I wear things sometimes that remind me what God said to me. And I've got this bracelet on today that has got green on it and green reminds me that God's doing something new in my life. And the clear bit on my bracelet reminds me that God's going to give me clarity. So I think that's quite a good one to wear today, that God will give me clarity in my thinking, and I'm doing something new. But it reminds me, and if we can have things around us all the time, that reminds us of what God said. That's going to help us hold on to the promises. Because what we're doing is we're always deciding, I'm going to trust God. It doesn't matter what the situation looks like, I'm going to keep trusting God. And Hebrews 11.6 says, that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so it's really important that we do it. It's that decision not to look at the circumstances and get discouraged, but he wants us to partner with him so that together with God, we bring to birth something that is really in God's heart. And the book of James also has got quite a lot to say about this. Um, James says, first of all, he says, don't doubt. So that's a decision. We're gonna constantly make a decision that we're not going to doubt God. And then he says um, that it's got to be accompanied by actions, that our faith should be accompanied by words. And so it's about doing the right actions though. And I think what we see here with Abraham and Sarah, there are wrong actions and there are right actions. And how do we know what are the right actions so that we can do those things? And the key to it all is keeping our eyes fixed on God. We've got to always hear God, see God, and do that thing. So I'll give you some examples of this. So imagine Adrian Hurst, because we have to imagine him, because he's not here. <laughs> he's on a sabbatical. He's the leader of our church, if people don't know this. And Adrian Hurst, as we know, has a dream. He's had a dream for quite a number of years, and he does like to remind us of this. <laughs> Particularly in January of every year, he reminds us of his dream. And his dream is that one day, Oasis Church... We're going to be in a building, a glass-fronted building, and it's going to be a hub of social activities, of prayer warriors, of toddler groups, of business startups. And this is his dream from God. And I should imagine that Adrian walks around with this dream, that he daydreams about it. Maybe he stops his car by roadsides, by empty spaces in the city. <laughs> God, is this our spot? Is this our building plot? And 
Adrian's partnering with God. He's waiting for God to say, this is the one, this is the one. And what Adrian doesn't do is when the cricket ground have a problem with this book in this room, he doesn't think, oh, I've had enough. I'm just going to go and buy a building. But it's the waiting on God. Um, I was thinking about Richard and Ali's stunt as well. This is the family who have been in Oasis Church who recently moved out to Russia. And I remember years ago Ali saying that she was listening to a missionary talk and this missionary talked about unreached people groups in the world and she just knew that that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to reach an unreached people group for God. And so over the years she's lived with this dream and she's learnt languages and finally they got the opportunity to move to Russia and then they've moved around a bit in Russia. They're learning a new language now but they're always listening to God, always hearing what's the next strategy, what's the next move so we can get out and reach an unreached people group for God. They don't go out on their own. And then recently I read this really awesome story about a missionary called Heidi Baker. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's always got amazing stories of what God's done. She works out in Mozambique with her husband, Roland, and over the years they've planted 5,000 churches. So I think if someone's got something to say about faith and fruit, maybe Heidi Baker's got something good to say. And this is her story. She says that um, one day she was flying in that little plane over to Mozambique, and they saw some villages that were completely cut off. There were no roads going to these villages. And she said to God, she said, how can I reach these people with the gospel? And God said to her, get a boat. And so she thought, okay, I'll get a boat. But everyone told her it was impossible to get a boat. In some of these third world countries, you just can't get hold of things. And so for two years, she tried to get a boat. And people kept saying, you just can't do it, you can't do it. But eventually she got hold of a boat. But when the boat arrived, then the boat had two broken engines. And so everyone was saying, well, it can't get fixed. Loads of people, she said, even people I loved told me it couldn't be fixed. But she said, I know God said, get a boat, so I was going to get a boat. And eventually she found somebody who could fix the engines for her. But then she said she waited another year for the parts for the engines. <laughs> but eventually it came to the day where they went on their first outreach to these villages. And this is what she says. She said, finally the day came to take our boat to the first outreach. We got to the first village and everyone came running. She said, I told them that I had good news. I shared every word I knew in their native language. They'd never heard the name of Jesus before that day. When I asked them who wanted to receive Jesus, everyone said yes. So Heidi carried on believing God, no matter what, and it was with stunning results. God said, get a boat, so she got a boat. She didn't get so far with her vision, and then think, oh, just parachute in, that's going to be quicker. <laughs> but it was holding on to exactly what God had said. But God, God gave her the strategy, and she had to wait, she had to endure lots of hardship, lots of discouraging words. But she did what God told her, and she had a really fruitful time. And so we need to be those people who fix our eyes on what God's promised. No matter what, no matter how impossible our circumstances may seem. And not let the reality of our situation lead to us rejecting God and rejecting his promises. Because that rejection can lead us to works. Which leads us on to my next point, that rejection leads to works. And Sarah... Sadly, came up with her own solution. 
She'd waited all those ten years and it looks like she took her eyes off God. There's no reference to her and Abraham seeking God, hearing God, praying about it. They came up with their own solution. She suggested it to Abraham and he agreed. Um, but what we find is that actually what's, even though it might be quite a shocking thing in our society for her to suggest this, this actually was quite a culturally acceptable thing to do in the Near East at that time. Um, when I've looked into the New International Commentary, it has four ancient texts that tell you about this. And I'll read one of them out to you. This is an ancient Assyrian marriage contract. It says, gives you these instructions. It says, within two years, if she, the wife, has not procured offspring for him, she may buy a maidservant. And even later on, after she has procured somehow an infant for him, she may then sell her however she pleases. So it obviously was what they were meant to do, but for us it's quite shocking and outrageous thing to do. Hagar isn't hasn't given any rights, any choices in the plan. She's just a solution to the problem. If you notice, Abraham and Sarah don't even call her by name. She's just an object, a solution. And I just want to say that no matter how culturally acceptable some solutions might be, how ingrained they might be in our culture, it's never right to do what's culturally acceptable. We need to always be hearing God. Mm. Abraham and Sarah then had taken their eyes off God and had chosen to find their own solution. And I've got to say, it wasn't without some trouble, as we'll find out from Vince. Thank you, Sarah. So, Abraham and Sarah allowed reality to lead to rejection of God's promises and rejection to lead now to works, not faith works, but those works that was culturally or socially acceptable. Just because something is socially acceptable does not make it right. It's socially acceptable to go out and uh, maybe get bladdered on a Friday night. It's socially acceptable to lie. It's socially acceptable to gossip. It's socially acceptable to live promiscuously. Promiscuously, if you can say the word. <laughs> but does that make it right? Rather than reflected on God's promises, Abraham rejected ten years of looking at the, the ground, of looking at the grains of sand, of looking up into the stars, looking up into the heavens, and of communicating with God. He took his eyes off God. He didn't ask God what he thought about this solution that they came up with. Instead, he chose to go down the customary route. I wanted to mention one of the, uh, in fact I will do, Sarah referred to, to one of the, 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 the many different texts as, as part of the customary way. I wanted to mention it just purely to have a go at saying it. So it's one of these texts is called, or one of these codes of practice is called Hamapure. Ha, ha, see, I can't even say it. <laughs> Hamapai. Hamapai was one of several laws that, interestingly enough, linked back to the way things were done in Ur, the place where Abraham. And Sarah was from. I found that really interesting. I also wanted to say, 
Maybe they erred. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, so you're with me then. <laughs> Maybe they erred from going with what God said and, accept, and accepted what was socially acceptable. So, it's out there. I thought I'd just do it. <laughs> you won't, will you? You won't forget that one, will you? Sorry. So they, they, not, they didn't talk to God. They didn't consult with God. Had they spoken to God, what, what do you suppose God might have said? Maybe, maybe they would have heard God say something like, for your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Or maybe God might have said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. But instead, we see that Abraham bowed to reality, which led to rejection. Rejection led to works, and works leads to trouble. If I was wanting to summarize things, I could say reality leads to rejection of God's promise, which led to Sarah being rebuffed by Hagar, and Abraham being rebuked by Sarai. Abraham then reneged on his responsibility to Sarah, rejected Hagar, but God reached out to Hagar and she was restored to Abraham and Sarah. Come on, come on. <laughs> I'll leave it up there. <laughs> it was one of those moments, you know, when it was referring to fair, I don't know if Sarah had this. One of these moments when suddenly, bang, oh, these, this alliteration of ours comes. I can't even say my words, you see. And I'm delivering this, but there you go. As you can see from that, this summary, that there's, there's a hint of what trouble looks like. There's breakdown in relationship. We see that firstly there's a breakdown in relationship with God. Between Abraham and God. As we come into chapter 16, there's... There's very little, if any, interaction with God at all. In fact, there isn't. As far as Abram and Sarah is concerned. But when you go back to chapter 15, and I found this really helpful. As I look through chapter 15, you can almost see, a, a, just well, you can see a wonderful conversation. There's beautiful interaction between God and Abram. Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And God's response is, look up to the heavens. And count the stars. So shall your offspring be. Beautiful interaction. Beautiful sense of communication. And yet we come to chapter 16 and silence. As a result of silence and not communicating with God and choosing one's own solution we see that that solution brought tension in the household. So we have communication with God is broken, silence, and then we see the household, in the household that there's tension. Tension, firstly, between Hagar and Sarah. Hagar rebuffs or snubs Sarah, Sarai, and Sarah, Sarai rebukes Abraham. She blames him for being snubbed by Hagar and Hagar being pregnant. Do you ever get frustrated 
when things don't go the way you planned. It's a very real emotion. That's what was going on here. There was tension in the household. You find that you say things when you are frustrated that don't make sense, but as far as you're concerned, they're right. <laughs> oh, you can relate to that. That's good. Listen to Sarah, Sarai, and I'm paraphrasing here. I put my servant in, in your arms, so it's your fault. <laughs> Does that make sense? In Sarah's mind, Abraham is culpable or to blame for her pain. A little bit of poetry there, blame for her pain. Okay, keep with me. Even, thank you. Even though she gave Hagar to Abraham, it was his fault. As we look at this scenario and we see what happens in that, in that Hagar and Sarah did not get on, that this tension caused frustration and that their relationship broke down. I couldn't help but see or, or but think about Genesis 3. There in the Garden of Eden we have Adam and Eve. So picture this. You've got Adam and Eve in Genesis 16. And then you have Abraham and Sarai in, chapter, in, in, in Genesis 16. Did I say that right? Genesis 3, Genesis 16. Great, you're with me. Good. So there, then you have, you have two trees in, in Genesis 3 and two women in Genesis 16. In Genesis 3, one tree is okay and the other tree is not. In Genesis 16, one woman has promise, the other woman was not with promise. When God comes to, to Adam in, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 and he inquires what's been going on, what happens? Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> They're all coming out this morning. I'm really sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, in taking things into their own hands, found that life at home was not good. There was trouble. When we take life into our own hands, there's trouble. And what I've found when I've spoken to different people, that, or, or what I've seen and heard, I should say, is that often when people face trouble, when they face great trouble, that is a time when they turn to God. Have you found that? Have you heard of those scenarios when people turn to God? And so it is that trouble leads to God. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the song, Nobody Knows. I'll, I'll, I'll spare singing for the... Oh, go on then. <laughs> Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but my Lord. What that song shows me and what we see here in relation to Hagar, is that God is interested in every one of us as individuals. Where is it that's, that, that's, that Hagar runs to? 
Some would say, as you look at the text, and rightly so, that she runs to a spring. She runs to a spring near Shur. She ran to an oasis, you might say. And that is correct. But what happens is that she actually ran to God. God appeared to her in the form of an angel. And that's just like God. God is continually wanting to reach out to each and every one of us as individuals. We see God come down to earth as Jesus. And, and in John 4, he meets with a woman at the well. He's personally interested in each and every one of us. So when trouble comes, the place to be is to run into the arms of God, as Hagar did. And what an interesting encounter. I don't know about you, but when I meet someone for the first time, I'm not going to tell them about any situations that are going on in my life. And yet Hagar feels so comfortable with God in the form of angel that she there shares her situation, that she's running away from Sarai. And what does God do? God does what he does. He listens, takes an interest, but then he directs. To Hagar he says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. God doesn't condone abuse, and he doesn't in this situation. In fact, there's nothing in the text that suggests that Sarai continues to ill-treat Hagar. But what God is, is a God of reconciliation, a God of restoration. And so that is why God encouraged Hagar to be restored to Sarai and Abraham. That's why he would encourage that they reunite. But look also at what, what this incredible encounter brought about. It brought about an angel saying to Sarah, you're going to have a son. No scan, you're going to have a son. And he also gives the name of the child, Ishmael. Isn't that a picture of one who would come many years later? Mary. And an angel would come and would say to her, you're with child, and you shall call his name Jesus, Saviour. And so, this morning, we see that reality has led to rejection of God's promises. And that the rejection of God's promises has led to works, one's own solution. And in doing so, that has led to rejection trouble. and trouble. It's led to trouble, sorry. And trouble has led to God. And this morning, maybe, you know, maybe you sat here and you're thinking, well, nobody understands my situation. Nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody knows what I've, I've carried for the last X amount of years. I want to say this morning that God knows. God knows. And God hears just as he heard and listened to Hagar. And God wants to hear from each and every one of us, no matter what our situation is. In a moment, I want to give an opportunity for us to respond to that. And the way that we'll do that this morning is just to give you the opportunity to stand and then, if I may, I'd like to pray for all who have stood.
Two things then. Maybe today you say that you don't have a relationship with God. That he's not interested anyway. That might be your situation. But this morning, having heard what you've heard and realised that God is actually interested in you, you want to change that situation. Or you may be someone that would say that I'm a follower of Jesus. I have a relationship with God. But faith is no longer the reality of your situation. It's now works. You, you, you're trying to strive through life as it were. I want to give opportunity for you to stand as well. In fact, we'll stand together to make that easy. So, so let's do that now. Let me, before, before we do that, Sarah, is there anything else you wanted to add? So what we'll do is, we'll, I'll give you the opportunity for us to stand now, um, if, you, if you would consider yourself not to be in relationship with God, and also, if you have a relationship with God, that, that it's, it's not in a place where it's in faith, but it's more like works. We want both sets of people to stand, pray over you, and then Sarah would like an opportunity to pray with individuals, if you'd like to come forward, and we have a team of people that will help us with that as well. Is that okay? Cool. So... If you consider that you need prayer this morning under those headings, if you'd like to stand now, I'd love to pray for you. That's great. If you'd say that you don't have a relationship with God, please stand. If you say that you have a relationship with, with God, but you've moved from faith to works. Father, I want to thank you that you're interested with each and every one of us. As individuals, Lord God, you know us personally. In fact, you, you talk about the, 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 the hairs, hairs on our head being numbered. And Lord God, this morning, as we stood before you, Lord God, we want to come to you. Recognising where we're at, recognising that, that, that when, when we're wanting to, to connect again, to be restored again to relationship with you. Lord God, we come and we ask that you'll, you'll come again into our lives and that you will be the one that will start to, to, to help us to see more fruit in our lives because of our connection with you. And so, Lord God, Lord, renew again that relationship that we have with you, Lord God. If, if we are one that is far from you because we've got into works, Lord, today we just come and we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord God, I know that you will pour your love into us. And Lord, uh, that you will continue to restore us to yourself. So, Father... We commit ourselves to you now. And Lord, we want to thank you for what you've spoken into us this morning. And we pray, Father God, that you'll help us as we journey with you, Lord God. That we might be lives that are have lives that are totally trusting you for your faithfulness and your faithfulness to bring promises out in our lives, Lord God. And to see your purposes fulfilled. That we will be, be people that have fruitful lives for Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.